there may be problems of racism in our society, and those are real problems. And where do they stem from? They stem from sin. And what is the solution to that? Us being reconciled to God and to one another. So if we can make sure that we teach our kids the true gospel, they can articulate it. And then as things come up in culture, in our own community, if we can help our kids identify, okay, what is this person or this group or this book or this TV show, whatever it is, saying is the main problem? Is this the same main problem that we see in scripture? And then what is the main solution? And is the main solution what we find in scripture? Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Hospital. So glad to have you on this episode of Equipping Children with a Foundational Worldview. With me is my friend and producer of Streamroots, the John Blosser. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. We had a great day yesterday at church, serving the Lord, That's enjoying awesome. God's presence and His people. So coming in uh, just uh, with joy, joy in my heart. So, gl- so glad to see you. Anything going on with you, my man? I've got the joy, joy, joy <laughs> of the Lord in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. All right, no more of this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, church was great yesterday. Uh, praise God. It was. Uh, I had two of my favorite musicians on stage with me, and it was. Uh, it was really, really great. Oh, nice. Very, very, very blessed to have uh, both of them um, be a part of the ministry. So it was great. Uh, one of our elders took the pulpit and uh, preached on uh, uh, Good Samaritan. So it was good. Nice. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we had a little bit of a camping excursion over the weekend. So, you know, got to sleep outside and that always makes me feel very chipper. So I'm feeling wonderful. Oh, good. Well, praise God. Mm-hmm. All right. Today we have a special guest for this episode. Joining us is Elizabeth Urbanowitz. She's the founder and author of Foundation Worldview. She's a follower of Jesus Christ who is passionate about equipping kids to understand the truth of the Christian worldview. She holds a Bachelor of Science from Gordon College in Elementary Education education in Spanish, Master of Science in Education from Northern Illinois University in Literacy Education, and a Master of Arts in Christian Apologetics from Biola University. Elizabeth began her professional career as an elementary teacher in a Christian school. Elizabeth, we're so glad to have you on this show. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, And as you said, my background is in elementary education, and I started my professional career as a third grade teacher in a Christian school. And I just loved teaching. I loved getting to teach the whole truth to my students. But several years into my teaching, I noticed that there was a problem that the students in my home, they came from these great, or sorry, the students in my classroom, they came from these great Christian homes, and I was giving them a biblically-based education all day long. But they were still rapidly absorbing ideas from culture without any question. And so I just realized you know, they knew all the Bible stories. They knew a lot of Bible verses, but they didn't necessarily know how to take all of the ideas that were coming at them in culture and filter them through the lens of scripture. And so that's when I just started looking for resources that would teach them to think well and to carefully evaluate every idea that came their way. And 
all the materials I found were for high school on up. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm so glad these materials exist, but I can't, you know, lose 10 years, <laughs> you know, waiting for these kids to, to get into high school. And so I just started creating resources on my own, started doing a lot of research, you know, reading, taking classes. And then I started teaching an after-school class just on comparative worldviews for third to fifth graders. And the students just really took off with what they were learning and they started evaluating every idea that they encountered. And several years into doing this, people started contacting me from all over the country just saying, you know, how can we get our hands on what you've created? And I said, I'm sorry, you can't, you know, I'm a third grade teacher. I'm not a Christian publishing house. Um, you know, here's the books I read, here's the classes I took, you know, you can take that and run with it. And everyone was like, yeah, just let us know when you have this published. So that's when I got that, went back to school and got the degree in apologetics and then stepped away from the classroom to start Foundation Worldview, which is just an organization that creates curriculum for parents and for ministry leaders and for Christian educators to get them to equip the kids in their care to carefully evaluate every idea they encounter and understand the truth of the Christian worldview. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That that's super, super cool. Yeah. yeah. It's so good to see, you know, you, you see the problem, the issue that's going on. And instead of like trying to find a book, Hey, I'll just write the book. Yep. So <laughs> great. Hey, I want to read for us from second Timothy, and then we're going to jump into our discussion. So this is what second Timothy two verse 14 to 17 says, this is God's word. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." And, and I love these verses because it shows us the power of God's word and all of life, that not just portions of scripture are, mm-hmm. are a part for us, but all of scripture shows God's nature, his character, who, who we are and what he calls us to do and how he wants us to teach this to uh, not only adults, but to children. And, and so I love to see that with your foundation worldview organization. And so, Elizabeth, we want to talk about that. Um, how do we effectively, right? You think about how, how we effectively teach our kids. What's the mission of Foundation Worldview? Well, our mission is to really come alongside parents as they are discipling their children and then come alongside churches as they are equipping parents to be the primary disciplers of their children. And really our goal um, is a terrible business model, but a wonderful discipleship model is that our goal is that by the time people are done using our materials, they don't need us any longer (laughs) because we want to create independence rather than dependence. And so we're trying to teach kids how to think well, and we're trying to give them the skills that they need to soundly read, interpret, and apply scripture. Um, and this is this is something we're very passionate about because when you think about most resources that are out there to help to immerse kids in scripture, most of those resources, you know, might be teaching specific narratives in the Bible, which is great, or it might be teaching kids how to memorize scripture, which is also great, or it might be, you know, like a devotional book guiding them through scripture, which can also be helpful. But none of these things are really giving them the tools that they need to be able to interpret God's word well. And just, you know, we know that God's word is unchanging, you know, praise the Lord for that, because the author, you know, God is unchanging, but what is constantly changing 
is culture. Mm -hmm. And in order to disciple the children that God has placed in our care well, we have to understand the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. And because of the prevalence of information, which is not always a bad thing, our children are going to be faced in one year of their lives with more competing ideas than most people throughout human history have been faced with their entire lives. And so this includes claims about scripture. You know, there's so many teachers on YouTube or TikTok or, you know, who aren't really even teachers, <laughs> but are just taking Bible verses out of context and are saying all sorts of things that have nothing to do with God's word. And so really our one of our main passions at Foundation Worldview is to give kids the skills that they need to be able to take any YouTube clip or TikTok clip or, you know, any meme that they see online and to evaluate, okay, what has this person said? How do I know whether or not this is true? And what parts of this align with scripture and what parts of it contradict scripture? I love it. It's so needed today because I think you said that really, really well. Obviously, we believe that God's word is unchanging. Though the heavens and the earth pass away, my words mm-hmm. will not pass away. But culture is always changing and shifting and radically over the last 10 years. Um, can you do me a favor? Repeat that one thing you said. The children are going to be facing more competing ideas than at, what, what was that quote you said? Yes. So just that because of the prevalence of information, children, the children that God has placed in our care are going to be faced with more competing truth claims or ideas in one year of their life than most humans throughout their entire lives have been faced with. You know, throughout human history, most humans haven't faced this number of competing truth claims in their entire lives. So we really need to equip these kids to become careful evaluators of every idea that they encounter. Yeah, that's so well said. Yeah, that's yeah. that's an amazing statistic. Just gosh. You man. It's hard to even imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Just with the prevalence of the internet and the the availability of all of the different information that we have. That's incredible. Yeah, we don't want algorithms to disciple our yeah. kids. So yeah, we don't want yeah. <laughs> there's a show opener right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Right. So all right. Um so you talk a lot about teaching children to think well. What what do you mean by that and why is that important? Yes. And I think that's a really important question. You know, what does it mean to think well, because a lot of times we can use these words without really thinking, well, what do we mean by this? And so knowing this cultural moment in which we're raising these children and knowing that they're going to be faced with so many ideas when we're not even there, you know, whether that's through screens, whether that's through conversations on the playground, you know, whether that's through conversations at school, teachers, no matter what the setting, we know that we can't possibly prepare them for every single idea that they're going to be faced with. So in the past, you know, parents and pastors and educators have had a lot more control over what kids are exposed to. Where nowadays, you know, even if we're very, very careful, there's just going to be so many ideas that come their way that we may not even be aware of ourselves. So rather than just telling our kids, okay, this is true, believe it, this is not true, don't believe it, you know, obviously there's a time and a place for that. But rather than just saying, okay, like these are the list of things to believe, these are the list of things not to believe, we have to give our kids the skills that they need to carefully evaluate any truth claim that comes their way. Because I'm a teacher, I like to give a lot of teaching analogies. So I think a helpful analogy for this is how we're taught 
to read. You know, when we were taught to read by our parents or our teachers, whoever it was, they could have had us memorize words. You know, they could have shown us words and we would have memorized the shape of the letters that make up those words and then memorize those words. But the danger in that is if they just had us memorize words, we would have been completely dependent on them through all phases of our life in order to read new words. Anytime a new word came up, we would have needed to take it to that person and say, okay, what is this word? Let me memorize it. And that's essentially what we're doing. If all we're, if all we're doing is saying, okay, this is what you're supposed to believe. This is what you're not supposed to believe. Or how did our parents and our teachers train us to read? What they did is they taught us 26 different letters and the sounds associated with those letters. And then they had us practice putting those letters together to make different words. And so now we can read any word that comes our way because we know those different letters and the sounds associated with them. So we can sound out those words. We have the skills that we need to read any word. And so it's the same with thinking that rather than just telling our kids, okay, here's a list of things you should believe. Here's a list of things you should not believe. If we give them the skills, okay, anytime you hear an idea, this is what you should ask yourself. And then this is the next thing you should ask yourself. And then this is the next thing you should ask yourself. And then this is what you should do. Then we're preparing them for any and every idea that they will encounter. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that too. Mainly, you know, I was, I was thinking as you were describing this, that, you know, this is, this is another element for a child to really own their faith instead of it being a faith of their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, we always, we always hear this, especially in evangelical circles that, you know, there's, there's a point in your childhood that you have to, you know, the, the faith of your parents has to become your own. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. having that understanding, having that ability to interpret scriptures and, you know, bounce what society's saying, you know, off of what the Bible says is true is hugely important for this generation. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and also just how things are taken out of context. Absolutely. Right. And you get your cultural mantras mm -hmm. and ideas that are out there. And one of them would be, uh, live your truth. Right. Yep. So we come to this, uh, you know, culture teaches us the lie that something can be true for you and not true for me. Like live your truth, my truth, your truth. You get a truth. Like Oprah, you get a truth <laughs> you and you get a truth. So, so this isn't a reality, right? So Elizabeth, can you explain that to us? Why live your truth or what's true for you isn't true for me? Uh, it, it can't, doesn't work. Can you explain that? And how do you explain that to kids? Yes. Well, I think all of us just inherently know this, you know, with, especially when we're talking about scientific principles, you know, I could say, oh, well, that's nice that gravity is true for you. It's not true for me. Well, we just know, you know, that the laws of physics apply to everyone equally. You know, I don't get to decide that. Or when we think about morality, you know, we know that morality is the same for everyone. You know, when we look back throughout history, when we think even you know, just an easy example is the Nuremberg trials after World War II, that the Nazi defense was saying, you know, we can't hold these men and women responsible for these crimes of, you know, like killing these millions of people because, you know, they were just following the subjective moral code of their society. You know, that was what was true for their society. Well, no, that didn't hold up in a court of law because humans instinctively know that that intentionally torturing and killing groups of people just based on some feature or some genetic trait is is wrong. And so we inherently know that and we, we live as if the truth is true for everyone. However, in our society, there is just this lie that truth is subjective. And even though nobody can consistently live that out, we're kind of duped into believing this. And one of the really dangerous things about this 
is this is an idea that isn't so much argued in our society. It's just assumed. And ideas that are assumed are the most dangerous because we don't have an opportunity, you know, to actually hear the counter side of them. You know, they're just ideas that are subtly infiltrated into our minds. And this is something that I found as I've started to create materials for others that so many of our children have bought into this lie that what is true for one person might not necessarily be true for another person. Now, in a certain sense, when we're talking about our subjective preferences or tastes, this can be true. You know, I really don't like chocolate chips. And so I think chocolate chip cookies are gross. Uh, Most people think chocolate chip cookies this. are delicious. We're you know, I know. End this interview right now. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's my subjective preference. And when we're talking about something like our taste, that's fine for it to be subjective. Or if we're talking about, you know, something that we enjoy, like a sport or an activity that we enjoy, those subjective preferences are going to change. But when we're talking about things like gravity or we're talking about things like morality, we're talking about objective truths. And so one activity in one of our curriculums that we do is we have the, the parent or the teacher who is ever, you know, running that um, lesson, they ask all of the kids in their care this question. They ask, is the truth true? for everyone. And then they give every child, you know, who they're working with, whether it's one child or 25 children, they give the the children a sticky note and the children have to decide, do I believe, yes, the truth is true for everyone? And if so, why? Or do I believe, no, the truth is not true for everyone? And if not, why? And so then the kids write down their answer and their justification for that answer on the sticky note and then hand it in to the adult. And we get emails all the time from parents and pastors and Christian educators who are just shocked to find out that the eight, nine, and 10-year-olds in their care, you know, they all have John 14, 6 memorized, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they think, okay, our kids understand the objective nature of truth, where then their kids write down on the sticky note, no, the truth isn't true for everybody because, you know, some people are Christians and some people are Muslims or, or, you know, like, no, something might be true for me, but not true for my best friend. And so if we never directly hit on this concept of truth and the fact that truth is what is real and truth is objective, you know, it's not dependent on our inner world of our thoughts, feelings, or desires, our kids are just going to absorb this lie that, oh, well, the Bible is true for some people. For the people who believe in the Bible, the Bible is true for them. You know, Jesus is the truth for some people, the way for some people, the life for some people. And it's like, no, in this cultural moment, we actually have to directly hit on the concept of truth that is just completely, you know, assumed in everything in scripture and to make sure that our children understand that truth is objective. Nice. That's well, well said. Well said. Yeah. yeah. I think, I, I think it was Abdu who brought this up about, you know, us even, you know, approaching this, um, this post morality society where we're just like, yeah, we know that there is objective truth, but we just don't care. Yeah, or we or we, we think the Bible is actually bad, right. bad for society. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's going down, like you said, TikTok. A twenty-two-year-old on TikTok who doesn't know uh, much, but they have a big following, and people are believing everything they say. Right. And uh, okay, so let me, let me think about think about this one for your expertise uh, here, Elizabeth. You, you, it seems like you don't shy away from talking about tough cultural issues on, on your webinars, your blog posts, your interviews. And many parents will try to shelter their kids from these issues. What is the best approach? Uh, what, what, what would you say would be the best approach for parents, churches, uh, children's ministry leaders for doing, for dealing with some tough cultural issues? Yes, 
Well, first of all, I always appreciate when parents are very intentional with their children, you know, so even if they are trying to shelter their kids from things, I appreciate the intentionality there because I think one of the big temptations is to just get so busy in life that we don't care as much or we aren't as intentional as we should be. And so my encouragement to parents is to not shelter our kids, to not isolate them, that that protecting them is not isolating. Protecting is preparing them. And so we want the first time they hear about tough cultural issues to be from us. Because if they hear about it from us, we have the opportunity to lay the the positive theological foundation and groundwork underneath of that, rather than waiting until something comes up and we have to do a whole lot of backpedaling. And so I'll give I'll give a couple examples here and just think about the the area of sexuality. You know, there's there's so much in our culture that is coming after our kids. And even if we're really careful about everything that we allow, you know, every screen that we allow in our homes, in the culture in which our children are going to be, are growing up, you know, it's it's highly unlikely that they're going to reach the age of five without having at some time and in some way be exposed to some form of sexual deviation from what is good, from what God's good design is. You know, whether that's homosexuality, whether it's bisexuality, whether it's transgenderism, you know, whether it's a drag queen, you know, no matter what it is. And if we wait until our children are exposed to this, and then have to do backpedaling, then their first exposure to sex or sexuality is going to be a deviation from God's good design. And so then, since that's their first exposure, their view of sex and sexuality is going to be very negative. Where if we're very intentional, you know, even from young ages, like three and four, you know, we don't have to get into all the mechanics. We don't have to get into great detail. But if we start even from these young ages, talking with them, laying the positive theological foundation, you know, that God designed families to be a mommy and a daddy who love one another and are committed to staying together for their whole lives. And, you know, even talk about, you know, when a mommy and a daddy come together, that's a picture of how much Jesus loves the church. You know, just in very simple terms, if we can lay that positive theology first, so then, you know, when they're exposed to two mommies or two daddies, where they're exposed, you know, to a man who thinks he's a woman, we can go back to the anchor of that good design so that the focus isn't on this deviation from God's good design, but the focus is, oh, you know, we just saw something that doesn't match up with God's good design. What is God's good design? You know, we can have those positive conversations with them. And the example I always like to give, um, again, I'm a teacher, so I use an example from teaching, is, you know, your first, a teacher's first year of teaching, especially with elementary students, they usually get sick a ton because, you know, you're just exposed to so many germs and kids are breathing all over you and coughing in your face and, you know, wiping stuff all over you. And then your second year of teaching, you're supposed to have built up a little bit of immunity to that. And then by your third year of teaching, you should be good, you know, no matter what comes in your classroom. Where what happened to me is my first year of teaching, I got sick a lot. And my second year of teaching, I got sick a whole lot more. And my third year of teaching, <laughs> by the time um, December came around, I had been on eight rounds of antibiotics. And I thought, okay, something is wrong here. So I went to the doctor in January and I was like, listen, I, I'm really done being on antibiotics. I want to stop treating the symptoms and I want to find out what is the root problem here because I should be immune to this by now. And so the doctor sat down with me and he just started asking me a whole bunch of questions. 
And one of the questions he asked me was how often I washed my hands. And I said, well, you know, I, I teach in a mobile classroom, so I don't have a sink. I said, so I actually use hand sanitizer. And he said, okay, so tell me how many times throughout the day do you use hand sanitizer? And I was like, oh gosh, like I probably use hand sanitizer like 30 to 50 times a day. And he was like, ding, 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 you know, here's the problem. And he said, you know, Elizabeth, before you're about to eat food or before you're about to rub your eye or rub your nose or your mouth, he said, it's a good idea to wash your hands. Or if you can't wash your hands, to use hand sanitizer. He said, but you should not be using hand sanitizer more than a couple times a day. He said, because what you're doing is you're not only killing all of the bacteria and viruses on your hands, you're killing all of the good bacteria as well. He said, and you're not letting your body get slowly, you know, just used to these germs in small dosages. He said, you're just completely wiping everything out. So then when a kid coughs in your face, you're going to get whatever he coughs in your face. And I said, oh, interesting. So I stopped using hand sanitizer. I would just wash my hands before lunch. And the most amazing thing happened. I did not get sick again with another sinus infection for five years. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And so it's kind of like that with our kids, that if we can if we can prepare them in small dosages, you know, if we can first build up that good positive theology, you know, that's like eating healthy food, getting a good amount of sleep. If we can first build up that positive theology and then slowly while they're still within the safety of our own homes and churches, maybe schools, if we can slowly expose them to some of those deviations from God's good design and help them see why those are deviations from God's good design. What we're doing is we're building up immunity. We're building, we're slowly exposing them to things that don't align with God's design and helping them see why. And that's what we want. We want kids with good, healthy, spiritual, and intellectual immune systems so that when they go out in the world, they understand what God's good design is and why any deviations from that good design are not ultimately for their good. I like it. I love your illustrations. Those, those are great. Um, yeah, that's good. So who they hear from first, right? That's really, really important and equipping your kids in an appropriate, appropriate manner. Um, I, I actually heard a great story from Corey Tenboom. Um, she, you know, she's a great author, um, hiding place, you know, just an amazing woman of God. She shared a story once from her dad when they were riding in a train. And she had the luggage that was high up. And, and so she was, as a little girl was trying to grab that luggage, but you know, her dad's like, no, no, I, I will carry this for you. I can do this. I have the ability to carry this burden. Um, one day you'll be able to do it, but right now I'm going to carry this burden for you. And it was like this, um, period of, of, of like her, her dad carrying some of these heavy burdens for her and just helped her realize is like, Hey, there's things that he's letting me see and know about, but a lot of the stuff he's carrying and protecting me from too. And so I love that idea of that, um, hand sanitizer, you know, there's appropriate ways of doing it. Don't, don't shelter them. Um, cause kids are going to be exposed. And that's shocking to me that at age five, they're exposed to so much deviant, uh, behaviors or things that they see, whether it's in cartoons or around, um, but just crazy, but that's the culture we live in. And, um, and so there's nothing new under the sun. So, so, uh, well said, well said. Okay. So what are some ways now when you come to, you know, really care about the gospel. That's, that's, that's God's desire. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, making sure we get the gospel right. These are hugely important issues and we're going to be faced with false gospels coming from everywhere. Um, and, and so what are some ways to help our children to discern the difference between tr the true gospel of Christ and, 
is life, death, and resurrection, mm-hmm. and uh, dying to ourselves to have true life, and and then the false gospel of uh, that's that's around us, the false gospels that are coming. Um, uh, mm-hmm. what, what would you recommend? What would you what do you think about that? How would you answer that question? Yeah, well, the first thing is we have to make sure that they understand the true gospel, <laughs> that they're able to articulate that. And sometimes what happens with you know terms that we just understand very well as adults, like the term gospel, is we might talk about it a lot, but we might never spend time actually seeing, can our kids articulate this? You know, I, I just recently saw this and I was in a situation, you know, where I was discipling a number of young women from a really theologically sound church. They were between the ages of 12 and 16. And on our first day together, I just wanted to know, you know, what they understood and what they didn't. And so I just gave them a quick survey, you know, had them respond. And one of the questions was, how would you explain what the gospel is? And a lot of their responses were very churchy answers that really had nothing to do with the gospel. Like the gospel is God's truth or the gospel is God's word, or, you know, even saying like the gospel is good news, which technically that's what it means, but what is this good news? And so the first thing is, you know, just to like verse our kids in the gospel, you know, to say, this is the gospel, you know, that God created us in his image and it was good, but humans rebelled against God and we became sinful. And that sin separates us from God. That sin separates us from one another. That sin even separates us from a true understanding of who we are ourselves. And on our own, we can't do anything to save ourselves. And God provided the only solution to that, that God, the son took on human flesh. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He died in our place. He took our sin upon himself. He bore God's wrath. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again and he defeated sin and death in that resurrection. And now anybody who turns from their sins and trusts only in Jesus is now reconciled, brought back into a relationship with God, and then is brought back into a relationship with other believers. And so just to make sure that we're constantly articulating this gospel to our children and asking them if they can articulate the gospel as well, you know, and providing gentle correction when they get it wrong. And then asking them, you know, when we see other things in culture, you know, okay, let's see, how does this line up with the gospel that we know? And so many times, even within the world that would be, you know, categorized as a Christian, you know, if you could see me right now, I'd be my fingers would be holding up, you know, little air quotation marks, <laughs> yeah. you know, things that are Christian and saying, okay, is this the true gospel? You know, I just recently was introduced to a series of books by, um, you know, popular Christian author, Ted Decker, who has completely gone down the progressive train. And in those series of books, what the what the main characters find out, and this is a series of books for kids, is they find out that they are enough, that they are made out of the same stuff that God is made out of, and that they're beautiful, and that their main problem is fearing that they're not beautiful and that they're not enough. And talk about okay, so let's talk about this. Okay, what is the gospel? You know, the main what's the main problem in the gospel? It's our sin. What's the only solution to that problem? Is Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And then, okay, let's look at this series of books. What is the main problem in this series of books? The main problem is in this series of books is not realizing how beautiful we are, not realizing that we're enough. And what's the solution? Realizing that we're enough. Okay, is this the true gospel or is this a false gospel? You know, and, and holding everything up against the true gospel. And then we can even talk about things in culture. You know, in culture right now, you know, as we're recording this episode, one of the main narratives that's going around is that everything that's wrong in our culture stems back to this thing that's called 
whiteness. And so whiteness is the problem. And what is the solution to this problem? Everyone who suffers from this whiteness, repenting of their whiteness and doing works to justify themselves. So then hold this up against the true gospel. Okay, what what is the main problem in the true gospel? It's sin. And what is the only solution? Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Okay, let's look at this gospel that's in our culture. What is the main problem here? The main problem is whiteness. And what is the solution? Repenting of that whiteness and doing works to justify yourself. Okay, how is this similar to or different than the true gospel? So that we see, like, there may be problems of racism in our society, and those are real problems. And where do they stem from? They stem from sin. And what is the solution to that? Us being reconciled to God and to one another. So if we can make sure that we teach our kids the true gospel, they can articulate it. And then as things come up in culture, in our own community, if we can help our kids identify, okay, what is this person or this group or this book or this TV show, whatever it is, saying is the main problem? Is this the same main problem that we see in scripture? And then what is the main solution? And is the main solution what we find in scripture? Yes, and amen to that. <laughs> I, I, I think that was the perfect way to end an episode right there. I agree. That is uh, that is great. Right, right on. Uh, yes, not not teach our kids what to think, but how to think, and and go back to. And when you see the New Testament, right, churches and regions like Galatia uh, were deviating from the gospel, yep. and they might have had things in order. But Paul's like, man, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Like, what happened <laughs> before your eyes? Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, portrayed as crucified, and so it's always under attack since the Garden. God's good design, God's good plan, God's grace, and and we. It comes in different forms, but it's the same thing. And so um, we want to go back to the creative order. I love it. Oh, great. Uh, Elizabeth, can you tell us, as, as we come to a conclusion here, a little bit more about Foundation Worldview, how, how to uh, find that, to uh, bring that into our churches or families or, uh, or our small groups? How could our listeners find your material uh, really easy to, to access? Yes, if they go to foundationworldview.com, that's foundationworldview.com, they can find all of our materials. And so we have lots of free resources like webinars and podcasts and blogs and a monthly book club. And then we also have other resources um, like our curriculum, which actually does a lot of teaching for parents and pastors and educators to just really equip the kids in their care to carefully evaluate every idea they encounter. Foundationworldview.com. And then you have curriculum for churches as well? We do. So for our curriculum for churches, we have two different opportunities. Churches can purchase bulk family licenses as at a reduced rate so that then they can lead a family discipleship initiative where they're helping families, you know, disciple children in their own homes. And then we also have your traditional like kids ministry or Sunday school curriculum licenses. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Foundationworldview.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And that's actually how I came, my wife and I watched a video of you on YouTube and we're like, this is awesome. And it's like, we should get around the podcast. So, <laughs> so great work. Keep up the good work. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God for foundation worldview. We're great. Grateful for what you're doing. Uh, let me sign off here. Uh, Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at barnabasministries.org. It's barnabasministriesmi.org. If you find this podcast helpful, we encourage you to subscribe or leave a review. Uh, maybe even tell a friend. It allows us to get God's word out to more and more people. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream Roots, drawing deep from the living water of God's word.